Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. You have your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis 35 this morning. Genesis 35, continuing in our series on Jacob's journeys, following along this patriarch that one commentator said was the most relatable of the patriarchs and the one we can learn much from. This will be our last message, really looking at his life. We're going to jump next uh, Sunday morning into a new series on the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite Old Testament characters, and as we continue walking verse by verse through the book of Genesis together. Uh, We're going to jump next Sunday into a series on the life of Joseph, and I'm excited to kick off the new year with that. And uh, and then on Vision Sunday, we'll talk about all the different sermon series and things that we have planned uh, for the new year of 2024. But we've been out of this series. This is... This is week number, I think, 46 or 47, uh, walking verse by verse through Genesis, and we stepped out of it for three Sundays for the God Who Understands Me, that Christmas series of God With Us. And so just to remind us a little bit of where we're at, what book we're studying, when you read the Bible, it's vital that you have some context. Who wrote that book? Who are they writing to? What was happening? What's the history of that book? And when you start to do that, the Bible comes alive. You really begin to understand what you're reading. And so... Just to give us a little context, I don't have time to go through 47 weeks of Genesis, uh, but to give us a little context on the book, Genesis really can be summarized. Uh, It begins the first section of the book with four major events, chapters 1 through 11, four major foundational events for for human history, creation, God created everything, Uh, the fall, man messed everything up. And then Noah's flood, God said, let's try again. And, and then the Tower of Babel, man messed stuff up again. So God confused the languages, scattered the people, and it's really where we begin to get the different people groups. And so at the end of chapter 11, you're left with a people that have sinned and they are scattered. They're in need of a savior. And really the rest of the book of Genesis is that story of how God is going to bring that Savior, really the the beginnings of the family that is going to bring that Savior, what we would call now the nation of Israel, began as the family of Israel. And in fact, we're studying Jacob, we're in Jacob's journeys, Jacob is the one that God changed his name to Israel. So when we say the nation of Israel, the beginnings are literally where we're studying right now. So the first part of Genesis, you've got four major events. The, the rest of the book, you have four major characters, what we would call the patriarchs, the fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob that we're going to finish today, and Joseph we're going to jump into, and that finishes 50 chapters. The end is where uh, it finishes there, the life of Joseph. And so that's the the summary. And by the way, one of the reasons I wanted to give us that summary, because many people, and I would encourage you to do this, many people begin a new year with a plan to read their Bible in some form or fashion. Some might say, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Others might say, I'm going to read through the New Testament or the Old Testament. Others might say, I really want to study a topic or dig deep into this book. And many Bible reading plans that would begin on January 1st would start you off in Genesis. 
So it's good to know as you're jumping into Genesis, kind of that summary. That's what you're going to be reading, the first 11 chapters and then the last 39 chapters there, what you're going to be reading. And speaking of the uh, Bible reading plans, last year we offered the church family to jump on one on the Version app. This year we have three different ones that we're going to encourage you to consider. You don't have to do this. You can go through your own. Whatever you do, I would encourage you to do your best to do, make a daily habit of getting into God's Word through reading, through listening to it being read, through a, a Bible podcast, through a devotional book. There, we live in a generation where there is more content and more opportunities to learn about the Bible than any generation in human history. You understand that? Let's take advantage of it. Let's not let that go to waste. And so if you've got your phone, I'm going to encourage you to pull it out. I'm going to show you three. I'll talk about them real quickly before we jump into our message. This is the one we did last year. It's, it's you read through the Bible chronologically, and that means so the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is not, uh, all of the books are not in chronological order. And so this, if you don't have, uh, if, if, you, if you've not yet done it on your uh, phone, uh, there is an app called the Version app, Y-O-U version. It has all different Bible plans, all kinds of things. This is on the Version app. You can go every day, read it. Uh, we have, uh, we had people every, up until yesterday, probably this morning, people commenting on there within our church family, asking questions about something they read, sharing a testimony of, of a verse that blessed them. And this is if you can read through it chronologically, and then there is a, an associated podcast that you can subscribe to. Um, it's about a seven or eight minute podcast called The Bible Recap. And so you read two or three chapters in a day, and then you have a seven or eight minute podcast um, where the host of that walks through that passage for the day. Um, the next one, let's go to the next one there. This is one that we're adding this year. This was put out by a group called The Bible Project. They have some really helpful videos and things on YouTube. This one is not um, going through it chronologically. It would be a little more traditional, walking through it from Genesis to Revelation. And this one has, um, in the app, it has about 150 different videos. So some of you, have, I've used some of those videos at times in, in different things in our church, um, but they have videos talking about a certain character of the Bible, or every book has a really helpful about eight or nine minute video summary. And uh, that's one, maybe you read the Bible recap last year and you'd like to do this one, or maybe you want to do the Bible recap again. Maybe you want to do something completely on your own, that's fine as well. And then the third one um, is one, and these are not in any specific order, but a pastor friend of mine, Carrie Schmidt who is, is, um, is a gifted Bible teacher in our generation. Um, God has used him. He's a gifted author. He's sold, his books have sold literally millions of copies. He pastors in Connecticut. And after we started the Bible recap last year, I texted three of my pastor friends that I really enjoy their teaching style. I enjoy what they do. And I said, I'd love to see, and I, I gave, I told all three of them, I'd love to see one of you three do um, do a walk through the Bible where you have like a daily podcast or maybe whatever that might be. Well, on Wednesday of this week, I got this link texted to me from Carrie, and he said, you asked me to do this, I'm going to put it out there and hope it's a help to some people. And, um, and what this one's going to be is it's on YouTube, that I think will take you to the YouTube video. Carrie is going to do a weekly, not daily, but a weekly video, about 15 to 20 minutes, walking through that week's Old Testament reading and that week's New Testament reading. Now, if you don't want to do both, 
you could walk through the Old Testament in a year and then next year walk through the New Testament. But once a week, instead of every day, once a week there will be one video put out on Carrie's, um, Carrie's YouTube channel um, for Old Testament and New Testament, and, and it has on his YouTube channel the PDF that will show you the, the, the passages to read that week that he'll be covering and walking through. So three options. Let's go back, if you will, TJ, to the first one. I'll leave them all up there. Maybe leave them all up there for like 30 seconds now that I've explained them. If there's any that you'd be interested in, feel free to grab that. Two of them are on the YouVersion app. The other one's on YouTube. I know that feels like a commercial, but we're starting January 1st tomorrow. I'd really like you to jump into God's Word in some form or fashion for yourself personally, and then also for your family. Have some time for family worship and do those things. And so we've got the Bible recap, the Bible project plan, and then the one-year Bible journey um, through Carrie's uh, Growing in the Gospel ministry, radio, and online ministry that he has there. And I hope that will be a help to you. You can just leave those up for a little bit while we jump in. And let me just stop and say this while those stay up there. I am sure with all three of those, there will be something that I would have a different perspective on or a little different opinion. Um, There might be something that they say that I might disagree with a little bit. There's not going to be any fundamental doctrines that that we would disagree with, but all of these things are put together by, by imperfect humans. And so just show some grace there if there's something that, oh, I heard that, and if you have questions, ask me, but we were just talking about this last night, uh, Drew, about some things with, with doctrine things where there's certain things that, that aren't, nece- they're, they're important, but they're not first tier of if you believe this. You know, I've talked about it before, eschatology. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. There are people that know the Bible far better than me that would disagree with me on that. And what I say to that is if they want to be wrong, they can. If they want to go through half or all of the tribulation, go for it. I want to leave before it starts. The reality is, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-trib, or a post-trib, in my opinion, it changes nothing about how we live our Christian lives today. And so there may be something in one or all of those at some point that I might have a little different perspective on, but they're really helpful resources. And I wanted to read you my mom up in Northern California. If you think of it, you pray for her. Um, she found out yesterday it looks like she's been diagnosed with cancer and doesn't have a lot of answers yet. And so I don't know what, what that is, but my mom comes down a couple times a year and um, we just got to see her on Tuesday. But my mom, she watches our services every week and she jumped onto that Bible recap with our church family last year on the U version app. And she sent me a text this week, and I say this to encourage you if maybe it's not a part of your daily life getting into God's Word. She said, after being saved for 35 years, I have now read the Bible completely through cover to cover two times. Laziness is the only excuse I can come up with for why it took me so long to discipline myself to accomplish this. Oh my goodness, what I was missing. It's like my Christianity was in black and white, and now it's in full technicolor. And the words, Jesus is my friend, has more meaning and truth, not just mere words that people or I would say. So I just want to challenge you as we jump into a new year tomorrow to make daily time in God's Word a part of your life in this coming year. And again, we have so many opportunities for that. But let's jump back. We'll we'll have those scrolling at the end of the service as well um, if you'd like to uh, look into any of those. Don't look into them now, all right? Let's lock back into the message here. But um, let's throw that summary back up. Genesis, where we were. So we have Genesis, kind of the summary. It starts with four major events. Then really it's outlined by four major characters. And then for sake of review, let's throw up where we've been 
In Jacob's study of Jacob's life, we saw Jacob at Bethel in week one of this series, that dream of the ladder ascending and descending. Jacob's delays, his father-in-law gave him the wrong wife, remember that? And he got, he got Leah when he wanted Rachel. He ended up having to work for seven more years, and we talked about that. And then Jacob's descendants, God blessed him with those 11 sons and one daughter. We'll see son number 12 today, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's departure, he leaves his father-in-law Laban. And then Jacob's difference, him and Esau come, Jacob is a changed man. And we looked at what should change in us. And we saw family business can be messy business was one of those messages. And uh, Jacob's development, what should change in us. Jacob's disappointment was the first Sunday, the last message we had. And we looked at where his only daughter, remember Dinah was defiled by a Canaanite. And we saw where his, his daughter was physically taken advantage of and, and defiled by this man. And then because of that, two of his sons got really mad. And they went and basically went on a murderous rampage of the Canaanites. That's where we ended. And it's interesting where we were uh, before our Christmas series. Chapter 34 is filled with lust, murder, debauchery, wickedness. Chapter 35, where we're going to be today, is filled with God. There are 10 uh, references to God, the first, plus the first reference to God is El Shaddai, the Almighty One. The first one is found here in this chapter. And we're going to walk this morning, and that's number eight there, Jacob's destination. We're going to walk through chapter number 35. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to, we're going to go through this whole chapter. I'd encourage you to follow along with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I always encourage you to look and see Scripture for itself. I put up references, I'll put up verses if it's not in our main text on the screen. On purpose, I don't put up our main text on the screen because I think there's something to you personally looking and seeing God's Word. And if you use an app, maybe highlighting, or if you use a Bible, a, a, a physical copy, underlining, and seeing it for yourself. I just personally think there's something to that. And uh, somebody disagrees, that's fine, but that's how I do that. And so the main text will not come up on the screen. I'd encourage you to follow along in God's Word. If you're on an app, or a tablet, on a, on a phone, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning. Chapter 35 is filled with God, and the title of our message this morning as we look at Jacob's destination, the title of our message is, It's Time to Get Back. It's time to get back. As we embark on a new year of 2024, how many people, maybe some of us in this room, will say something like, I need to get back in shape. I need to get back to the gym. If you're a gym owner, this is your Christmas, right? January 1st, everybody's signing up. I need to get back to reading more and getting off my phone. I need to get back to budgeting. I need to get back to church. I need to get back to eating healthy. This is our season of getting back to things that we know we should be doing in our lives, isn't it? January 1st. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's nothing magical about January 1st, but God does give, He gives fresh starts. He gives, His mercies are new every morning. He gives us a new morning. He gives us a new week. We, we come on the first day of the week and get our day started off uh, giving this first day to God. He gives us beginnings of a new week. He gives us new months, new seasons. The seasons change. He gives us a new year. There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of that fresh start to get back to some things that you know you should probably be involved with, or maybe to get stop doing some things you shouldn't be involved with. 
And what, so, so this is a season of getting back to things, and that's exactly where we're going to find Jacob as the narrative on his life in Genesis comes to a close. We start th- this next week with Joseph, but today we close out Jacob. And we're going to end where we started in week one of Jacob's journeys. We're going to end at a place called Bethel. Would you say that name of that place with me aloud? Ready, begin. Bethel. Beth means house. El means God. Anywhere in the Bible you see El, it's referring to Elohim, God. Beth, the house of God, El, Bethel. And we're going to start, it's where Jacob started that series. You might remember it when he had deceived his brother Esau, his twin, and when he had deceived his dad, and his brother said, I'm going to kill you if it's the last thing I do. And Jacob's mom said, you better get out of here. And do you remember? He's all by himself. He's running. He's scared. He's a young man that has made some mistakes. He's running for his life, and he comes to a place, and there he has that dream, and Jacob's ladder, the dream that we studied, and he said, I'm going to call this Bethel. Why did he call it that? Because it was here that I met God personally. It was here that I saw God for myself. It was here that I communed with God. That was some 30 years ago now where, J- where Joseph, uh, Jacob was at, the, at Bethel there in the wilderness, that place that he named Bethel. Would you read Genesis 35, verse number one aloud with me this morning as we come toward the end of his life? Look at Genesis 35, verse number one. Ready? Begin. And God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. I want you to go back. It's time to get back, Jacob, to that place that you first met me seemingly a lifetime ago. In the in the, the preceding 30 years to this verse, what's happened? Jacob has moved and he's married two women, two sisters, Rachel and Leah. What has happened, he's had, he's had 11 sons and one daughter with four different women, his two wives and their two handmaidens. Well, what has happened, he's built two very successful businesses, one for his father-in-law and then one for himself. What has le- happened, he's left the, the life that he had established there with his father-in-law Laban, he's left it all and he's begun to journey back. What has happened since then? He has reunited with his twin brother Esau, thinking he was going to get killed. He's reunited. What has happened, he's now leading his family back to fulfill the plan and the promise and the commands that God had given him. And God says, Jacob, it's time to get back to Bethel. It's time to go back where you first met me, to get back to your close relationship with me. And it was interesting, because I didn't plan this out this way, to be in this chapter on the last Sunday, but I think it's a very uh, uh, fitting and relevant application for us as we come to the end of a new year. For some of us, it's time to get back to where we should be. It's time to get back to that place where we met God face to face. It's time for us to get back to that seriousness of growing in Him, of fulfilling His plan, of obeying His Word as we move. And I'm thankful that some of us will get back to the gym or maybe back to budgeting or back to whatever it might be. I'm thankful for those good changes. But more important than any New Year's resolution that applies to our diet or our exercise or our budget is what will we do with our relationship? with God. It's time to get back, church. It's time to get back to Bethel, the house of God, the place that we met him. Let's put that map up there if we can, Teach 
Just as a reminder, Jacob started in the, in the bottom left there at Beersheba. He ended up in Haran with his father-in-law Laban at the very top arrow. And then he starts coming down, and there at Peniel is where he, and he has that wrestling match. His name is changed to Israel. He sees Esau, and he ends up, he's in Shechem. That was chapter 34 where Dinah was defiled. They're right in the middle, and then he comes down to Bethel. This is where we find ourselves, Jacob, and then he's going to end up, um, you'll see him coming down a little bit more toward the end of the chapter in the map. Why is it important, church family, for us to get back to Bethel in our lives? And by the way, there are probably multiple times that we need to get back to Bethel. Why? It's important because the natural progression of the Christian life always tends toward complacency. The natural progression of the Christian life. When I say natural, I mean when we're not intentional about growing in our relationship. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound right. What's the natural progression of your marriage if you don't intentionally invest in it? Complacency, drifting apart. What's the natural progression with any close friend that you have if you don't stay in touch with, with maybe texting or calling or getting together or if you're one of those friends that sends memes to one another, somehow staying connected? What's the natural progression? That, that, not that you will hate each other, but naturally, all of you can think of people that were your best friends in high school or in college, maybe even stood with you in your wedding. I know that I can, and I haven't talked to my best man. I haven't spoken to on the phone. We're not mad at each other. If we saw each other today, we'd have a great time. He's an assistant pastor in North Carolina. He's actually married to my sister-in-law's sister. We have a great family. I haven't spoken to my best man in my wedding for probably five years. What happened? The natural progression, if you don't stay intentional about developing and maintaining that relationship, is just to drift apart. He's busy with his work 3,000 miles away as a, a wife and beautiful children, and I have my wife and children and the work God's called us to here. And the, natural, and the same is true in our Christianity. The natural progression is to tend toward complacency. So we've got to get back to Bethel. It takes intentionality. We grow cold to the Spirit's moving. We begin to accept sin in our lives like a boat without an anchor that's in the water. Water, we just slowly drift farther and farther from shore. We see this throughout Scripture, don't we? What did God tell the church at Sardis in Revelation 3? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art what? You had a name. At one time, you were on fire. Church, at one time, you were an exciting gospel-preaching, witnessing uh, beacon for me. At one time, you were on fire, but you're dead. You still have a reputation that you're on fire, but you've grown cold. You're no longer what you once were. Notice what he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. What is he saying? It's time to get back. You've got some stuff left. The whole fire hasn't gone out. You need to strengthen that which remains. Why? That, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. And what's that last word, church? And what? Repent means to do an about face, to turn around. What is he saying? It's time to get back. It's time to get back, church at Sardis. The chapter before that in Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus, what did he say? I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. By the way, that sounds like a good church to me. A working church, a patient church, a church that doesn't put up with, with wickedness in their midst, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. A church that stands for good doctrine, 
and has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored, has not fainted, a persevering church. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast what, church? Left thy first love. Look what he says here. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and what? Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The people that the, the book of Ephesians was written to in Revelation, you know what God's telling them? It's time to get back. You've left your first love. And I want to ask you this morning, as we come to the end of the year, have you grown in your consecration and your commitment and your passion and your love? and your service to God in this year, or has it waned? Has it grown a little cold? Has it grown a little complacent? What did he tell? He told the church there at Sardis, he said, you've got to repent, it's time to get back. The church at Ephesus, repent, it's time to get back. What did the psalmist King David say after he had allowed sin to creep into his life? He said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, it's time to get it back, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Why would David need to say, restore the joy of your salvation in my life. Why would he need to say that? Because he had lost some of the joy of his salvation. Have you ever lost the joy of your salvation? If you live for God for any length of time, undoubtedly at times the answer of that will be yes. You're human and so am I. And you know what we need to do? We need to arise and get up and get back to Bethel. Back to that place that we met God. It's time to repent. It's time to return. It's time to restore. It's time to renew. What is the natural state of any lawn? Weeds grow up, don't they? You don't have to do anything for them. You have to work really hard to keep a, a grass growing. You don't have to work really hard to keep a field of weeds growing. They come up naturally. What's the natural state of any building? It breaks down, it deteriorates, light bulbs stop working, plumbing pipes crack and leak, and what happens? The natural state, but to keep a building in good repair takes some intentionality, some investment. The second law of thermodynamics tells us what? It tells us that anything left to itself will tend toward disorder and dying. Why is that? Because when sin came into the world, death by sin. So when we were born into this world, the Bible says because we live in a sin-cursed world, it tends toward dying, disorder, death. So we have to get back. Jacob and his family in this passage, and we're going to jump into it. Jacob and his family in this passage had seen their commitment to God and the spiritual consecration of their family wane through the circumstances of life. And God tells him here, after they've walked through tragedy with Dinah, God tells them it's time to get back to where you met me. May I ask you this morning, how are you doing in your spiritual life? Between you and God. Not what everybody thinks. Not how you look in church this morning. Not if you're standing up here preaching or you were the one singing. I didn't ask if you're serving. How's that communion? How's that relationship? Is it time to get back to Bethel? Have you grown somewhat cold and complacent? How's your commitment to God and his word? Has it weakened? 
through the busyness of this life and the cares of this world? Have earthly things in the year of 2023 overtaken your desire for eternal things? Have selfish or sinful pursuits claimed priority in your life over spiritual pursuits? Have fleshly pleasures become more prevalent than spiritual disciplines? Do you find yourself finding reasons to skip time in God's Word while always having time for social media or your favorite TV show? By the way, the answer for me on some days is yes. I know a pastor, he told me he got saved. He's probably in his 60s now. I don't know if this is still true. I haven't spoken to him for years. He got saved and told me I've never missed a day of reading my Bible since the day I got saved. And to that I say, respect. That's awesome. Can I tell you as your pastor, that's not my testimony. There are days when I give my life to things that are far more earthly and temporal and fleshly than spiritual. Now, I hope those days are few and far between, and that's not my goal, and I hope that's not what characterizes or defines me, but I've been there. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to us. Does it seem like there's often a good reason to miss gathering with your church family because of work or sickness or kids' activities, but those same reasons don't keep you from staying committed to your career or your personal hobbies? Did you start strong with Bible reading in January, with prayer, with church involvement, but you're limping to the finish line in December? I get it, you're here. Pastor Ryan, I'm here. I get it. So am I. But we might have limped in here, spiritually speaking. And I'm glad you limped in if you did. But let's strengthen the things which remain before they die. Let's get back. Let's get back to a vibrant, thriving Christian life where, where gathering with God's people is one of the highlights of our week, with meeting with God in His Word is a highlight of our day. We're spending time in prayer. We're doing those things. Let's get back. The New Year's gives us a great, the New Year gives us a great opportunity to take inventory and make some commitments to get back where we should be or maybe back where, to where we used to be in our Christian lives. In this passage, I want to give us three main thoughts. Number one, I see the place to get back to. Verse number one, Jacob arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God. It was a place of commitment in his life. Get back to a place of commitment to me. It was a place of communion in his life. It was where he had met with God, where, the, where God had spoken to him, where God had for the first time given him promise and purpose and said, I have a purpose for your life. He said, get back to Bethel where you were 30 years ago. Get back to that place of commitment, Jacob. Get back to that place of communion. It's a place of holiness. We're going to see that here in just a minute. It was a place where God's promises had become real to him. It was a place of personal relationship. He didn't say, get back to looking good on the outside so everybody thinks you're a good Christian. He said, get back to Bethel, that place where you met with me where you heard from me, where you knew me and I knew you, where I saw your weakness, where I knew your fears, where we shared and I, I told you I loved you and I gave you that covenant. I, get, I, I confirmed the Abrahamic covenant with your dad Isaac and then I confirmed it with you at Bethel. Get back to Bethel. Get back. The place to get back to is a place of communion and personal relationship and commitment to God. And my challenge to you and to me is no matter where we find ourselves today, let's get back to that place. Have you let it grow cold? Have you let it get a little just, you're just kind of going through the spiritual motions? Get back to the house of God. We're told the average church member in America today averages attending around two Sundays per month. 
And I understand sickness comes and out of town things come. I think I missed four Sundays this year being preaching out of town and two on our family vacation. I understand that. But American church, it's time to get back to where the priorities of God and God's word matter to us again. Number two, the preparation to go back. Look at verse number two, please. Then Jacob said unto his household, by the way, moms and dads, husbands, I, I, don't, don't be afraid to take some spiritual leadership in your family. Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, he stood up with those that he worked with. That these were his servants. They, yes, he was their employer, but he stood up to them. He said, all right, if we're going back to Bethel, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise, and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Remember Rachel had taken some of her dad's idols when they left? Uh, she had taken some of Laban's, remember that? And then they just got done raiding Shechem, the Canaanites. They just got done killing and raiding all of that. And from that, und- they had allowed to accumulate in their homes things that didn't belong there. They had allowed the world to come into their house. They had allowed ungodly things into their homes. Somewhere along the way, Jacob's family, again, this is what happens. It's not usually a big, I've heard it said this way, in the Christian life, there are no blowouts, there are slow leaks. It's not usually a blowout where the tire just pops. And when it seems like that's what it is in someone's life, usually somebody else said behind, how did they say it? Behind every uh, uh, wicked act is a process of evil thinking. It's usually a process. And what had happened here in Jacob's family over the course of these decades from the last time he was at Bethel, they had allowed some things in that didn't belong in the house of someone that followed God. They'd allowed that there were some things, the earrings, by the way, he's not saying that earrings are bad. Here, they were representative, and they, they had brought them, they were representative of some things that were not right with pagan gods and false worship. He said, give me all of that stuff that you guys have allowed into your home from the world that doesn't belong on a believer who's going to meet with God at Bethel. And may I stop and say here, our God is still a holy God. And a holy God still deserves a holy people to meet with him. And yes, holiness is a heart attitude. And yes, holiness starts on the inside. And yes, the Christian life is an inside-out life. And yes, some of you maybe have been in some places where there was an overemphasis on externals for acceptance and approval by God. And if that's the case, I'm sorry, and, and it's not right, and it's not biblical, but don't, don't swing the pendulum the other way to think that nothing that we do matters. What we do, and who we are, and how we think, and how we talk, and, and the things that come out of our lives matter. Now, the important thing is that they're coming out of our lives, not we're trying to put them on. They're fruits of the Spirit. You don't put fruit on a tree. Fruit grows out of a healthy tree. So it starts with a relationship, but it should work its way out in some fruit in your lives. There should be some distinction between the followers of God and the people of this world that don't know God, the worshipers of a holy God. There should be some distinction about our marriage, about our faithfulness to our spouses, about our love for one another, about the way that we speak to each other, about the 
music that we allow into our homes, about the things we dwell on, about the entertainment that we watch, about the books that we read, about the priorities of our family. There should be some difference. Why? Because a holy God deserves a holy people to come to Him. And I understand we, all of our righteousness is filthy rags, but the Bible still does say, be ye holy, for I am holy. We should strive to allow the work of the Spirit in us to create the fruits of the Spirit out of us. A holy God deserves a holy people to come for him for holy worship, and holiness is not the color of shoes you wear. I understand that. It's not necessarily the, the number of razor on my haircut. That I understand that. But the holiness of God in us should work its way out of us in our conversation and in our behavior. If we're going to put some, do you see what happened here? They got rid of some things that didn't belong in their homes and in their lives. If we're going to put some right things in our lives, if we're going to get back to some right things, we're going to have to get some wrong things out of our lives. That's what happens here. Preparation to go back. If we're going to, I, I got to get back to God. If I'm going to get back to, to uh, committing my life to God, there's going to have to be some things that come out of my life that don't belong. There are things that, the, what does the Bible say? Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does the Bible say? You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is, is the idea of money used for evil purposes. It doesn't mean you can't have money. The Bible doesn't say the, the, that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. What does this mean? All of us have money. We all use money. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's wrong when money has you. What does this mean? What are you living for? What are you worshiping? Are you worshiping yourself or the Savior? Are you worshiping earthly pursuits or eternal pursuits? Are you worshiping fleshly pleasures or spiritual, the things of God? What is it? And Jacob understood, if we're going to go back to Bethel, we got to get some things cleaned up in our lives. If we're going to go back to Bethel, that's where I met God. We can't meet God while we're worshiping false gods. We can't commune with God while we've got false gods in our lives. And I understand probably no one in this room has a little statue of a false god in your home, but we all have idols if we're not careful, don't we? Anything that we place above God is an idol in our lives. I've got to move on, or I'm going to make this a two-part message. Here we go. Where am I? Either we're serving God or we're serving ourselves. In those days where wardrobes were limited, when he says here, He says, be clean and change your garments. The idea of going to take a bath, you remember they walked, it was really dirty, to take a bath and put on a new set of garments was symbolic of a fresh start. Spring cleaning, if you will. It was symbolic of a fresh start. He's telling them, go take a bath and put on some new clothes. Why? We've got to prepare to meet the God that I met at Bethel. We need to identify and remove some of the strange gods we have allowed to take our affection and receive our worship. The God of self in our society is one that we all worship far too often. The God of materialism, the God of my career, the God of pleasure, the God of sinful entertainment, the God of our kids. You know your kids can become an idol, and mine can too. If your family and your kids and their activities and their wants take precedence over spiritual priorities in your life, you are now worshiping those children more than your God. Be careful. I read, I sent an article to our church years ago called When Ball Becomes Bail, and I coach our high school basketball team. My kids are all involved in sports. But you know that ball can become bail, bail a false god. 
Anything can. The God of our online image and what everybody thinks about us on our social networks. What gods have we allowed into our lives and into our homes that's keeping us from being who God wants us to be? Let's get back to Bethel, where God's word and time with him and time with his people at his house take first priority in our lives. Have you allowed some strange gods to make their way into your heart? Have I? At times I have. How many of us would would say we want our children to put God first in their lives? How many of us would say that? My hand's lifted. We want our children to put God first in their lives. May I just kindly say this morning, don't expect your children to give God first place in their lives if they don't see you doing your best to give God first place in your life. Look at verse 7, please. He built there an altar and called the place. Notice this. This is interesting in verse 7. So he gets back to Bethel where he was 30 years before where he'd built an altar and called it Bethel. Now he builds an altar and he calls the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Do you remember what I told you El means? Beth means house. El is short for Elohim. means God. So now he says El Bethel, the God of the house of God. And by the way, I don't have time to go here. I wanted to spend a little more time here, but I've spent too much time earlier. But I love this. It's not just about getting back to a place. It's about getting back to a person. God, El Bethel. This is the place. I didn't just come back to some sacred place and it's magical and it's spooky and it's mystical and I had some good feelings and they sang my favorite song and so I walked out feeling good. No, I got back not just to the place, Bethel, the house of God. I got back to El Bethel, the God of the house of God. And in your life and in mine, it's not just about getting back to a place. It's about getting back to a person. How is your personal relationship with God, with your Savior? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ Savior. It's not time for you to go back. It's time for you for the first time to go and, and, and meet the God who died for you to make him your Savior. Let's get back to a passionate desire to know God and to make God known in 2024. El, Bethel, God, I need you. I want you. I don't just want to check my, my mark my boxes that I went to church 52 weeks out of the year and that I served in, in some area of service. And by the way, do those things. And I gave my money in the offering. And I did all the things I was supposed to do at Bethel, at the place where I meet you, at at the house of God. I checked my Bible reading schedule. I marked my time. I scrolled through there and watched my podcast. Do all of that, but don't do it so that you can say you did it. Do it so that you can grow in your love and knowledge with the one who loves you. El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Verse number nine, if you will. As he gets back to Bethel, God's promises and plan and purpose for his life become more real. Look at verse 9. Excuse me, I'm sorry. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it to thy seed. I will give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. He poured poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. What do we see here? We see as he gets back. Aren't you glad? That a guy a few verses earlier is telling his family, get rid of the false gods. God's not done with him yet. 
He's still using him. He still has a plan and a purpose for him. Sometimes you say, well, I messed up in 2023. Why, why would I even try in 2024? I, I, I've tried that before. I've tried that. You know what? I'm just, that's just who I am. I just can't get victory. By the way, in your own strength, you're right. But with God's help, you can. And Jacob was the one that was having to get rid of the false gods out of his family and out of his business and out of those that worked with him just a few verses earlier. And here's God saying, I'm not done with you. I still have a plan and a purpose for you. I love what our guest speaker, you've heard me say it probably at least once a month since May when he came for Mental Health Sunday. What did he say? If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you're still here, God still has a plan for you, and, and don't, don't tell him how he can't use you. Prepare your heart to get back to Bethel, and then let God use you, and I've got to go quickly. Number three, some places we may visit after we go back. We're going to look at the rest of this chapter very quickly here, but I want you to see there are four, four other places after he went back to Bethel that Jacob then visits. Number one, we see a place of sorrow. Verse number 16, they journeyed from Bethel, and there was put a little way, come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she, she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni is, or Benoni is a, a, a son of my sorrow, Benjamin is son of my right hand. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Right after he meets with God and he gets God's promises, what happens? The one he gave 14 years for dies. His favorite wife. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Hopefully your wife is your favorite wife too. His favorite wife dies. The one he truly loved, Rachel, is gone. The heartache, the pain. It's a place of sorrow. And I'm, I preached this earlier this month in chapter 34, but getting back to God, can I, can I just remind us of this? Getting back to God, getting back to Bethel, the place where you meet God, doesn't mean you aren't going to face some sorrow. That's a false gospel that's been preached all across our world. Follow God and everything gets easier. Follow God and you'll get healthier, wealthier, wiser. You will get wiser and God will bless you abundantly, but not always in the way you expect. Be careful. It's a place of sorrow. He, fought, he, he goes right after he meets God. Then we see a place of blessing. Not only was there sorrow, but Rachel gives birth to Jacob's 12th son, Benjamin. She wanted to call him son of sorrow. Jacob called him son of my right hand. Benjamin here, a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. What, is, what did we talk about Jesus a couple weeks ago? A man of sorrows. But where is he seated? At the right hand of the father. Benjamin, by the way, the first king of Israel would be a Benjamite, Saul. Apostle Paul would be a Benjamite. From Benjamin, God would do some great things, and from his seed, there was a great blessing there. And, 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 and Jacob, who knew the power of a name, his name meant supplanter, overreacher, deceiver. He says, no, I'm not going to let you be defined that every time you say your name, you're reminded that you're part of the reason your mom died, a son of sorrow. No, you're, you're a place of honor. You're the son of my right hand. A, a place of blessing, number three. After he visited Bethel, we see him in a place of pain, verse 22, and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. 
Now the sons of Jacob are 12. It's interesting. It gives no reaction from Jacob. And I'd love to jump into this a little bit because it's deeper than this. This is a symbol that, um, one, this was Rachel's handmaid. So Leah's son is kind of trying to downgrade Rachel's handmaid. This would have been um, the one that Rachel had given Jacob to have. It's also an act of trying to kind of overtake the family. There's a lot that goes into this. But all I can tell you was it was a great sorrow to Jacob's heart. In fact, so much so that in his dying words, in Genesis 49, we'll get there in a few weeks, he brings this back up. And he says, the blessing you should have because you're my firstborn, you're not gonna have because you came and defiled your father's house. And, and, and a place of pain, a place of, my, my chi- why would my child do that to me? Not only a place of sorrow and a place of blessing, but here a place of pain. And as we move into 2024, I'm not trying to discourage any of us. As we get back to Bethel, we may also expect that we may visit a place of sorrow at times, a place of blessing at times, and at times a place of pain. This chapter is a reminder that getting right with God doesn't mean you'll not face any struggles or difficulties. Wearsby said it this way, those who teach that our dedication to the Lord automatically protects us from troubles and tears need to read this chapter carefully. Certainly God had forgiven Jacob, and certainly Jacob was walking with the Lord in faith and obedience. Nevertheless, he still had his share of trials. Do you ever feel that way? Well, if God really loved me, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why did he allow this? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And then lastly, a place of goodbye. Verse 27, his dad tells us his dad Isaac dies. He died at age 180. Verse 29, Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and he was buried by Esau and Jacob. Isn't it interesting how death has a way to bring the family back together in ways that their, their selfishness had split them apart? Isaac dies at the age of 180. Isaac lived the longest of all the patriarchs, but less is recorded about his life than about his father, his sons, and his grandson, Joseph. I don't know what 2024 will hold for you or for me, But I do know that God put us here. I didn't plan to be here necessarily in this chapter on this day, but God put us here on the last Sunday of 2023. And I do know that all of us should strive to get back. Get back to that place of commitment. Back to that place of communion. Back to that place of of a personal relationship with God. Back to that place of God speaking to us and guiding us. Back to that place of holiness. The place to get back to Bethel, the house of God. The preparation to go back. A holy God deserves a people that are striving to be holy in his sight. And then the places you may go after you get back. You might find seasons of sorrow and seasons of blessing. Seasons of pain and seasons of goodbye. But through all of that, God is working and guiding his, his chosen people to bring forth the Messiah. The one that it's most important that all of us know. Have you drifted from him in 2023? Can you answer this question? Are you closer to God today than you were on the last day of 2022? If you look and you honestly say, you know, I have drifted a little bit. I've allowed some things to slip. Uh, it's time to cleanse your heart and change your garments. It's time for a fresh start. 
Let's get back to Bethel. Let's get back to daily time in God's word. Let's get back to a weekly commitment to God's house. Let's get back to daily prayer with our families. Let's get back to serving and loving and praying and giving. Let's get back to getting rid of the things of this world that don't belong in the life and the home of the believer. Let's get back to Bethel. And you know what it says if you look at verse number one? Arise, go up to Bethel, and notice what it says, and dwell there. Stay in that spot. Dwell there where God meets with you. Stay in that place in your life, and all of us will mess up. But aren't you glad we have a God that welcomes us back to his presence, welcomes us back to Bethel? Let's get back in 2024. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.